0: We say uh, all life is sacred, and that includes the lives of those who, who have committed grave harm and who have done egregious, terrible things, no doubt. And I think I appreciate why that's hard for people. I really do. I get it. Um, but I think it's like we have to have a kind of a, a paradigm shift of how we think about our responses to harm. By By working to abolish the death penalty, it's a matter of Refame, reframing how we understand crime and harm if we truly want to lean into the gospel call to respect the dignity of all life. And I think we, we have to consider it's not the mission to end the death penalty. It's not just about saving the, you know, the 2,500 plus lives that are currently on death row right now. That's a big part of it. And if, if our goal was only about that, I think it would still be a worthy goal. But it's also about how are we building a culture of life and what does it do to us as a society and what does it do to us as individuals when we have state-sanctioned murders, when we say, well, you know, we, we follow the commandment, thou shall not kill, except in some cases.
1: Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. My name is Danny, and I'm the host. In this episode, Father John and I speak with Emma Tacky from the Catholic Mobilizing Network, an organization which works to abolish the death penalty, which is our topic for this episode. Since the death penalty is in itself also a violation to life and human dignity. So we're very grateful to Emma Taki to help educate us on this topic. If you're enjoying this episode or this series on respecting all life, please remember to subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many, many more. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Emma Tacky. Enjoy.
0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is an original prayer by Sister Addie Lorraine Walker. Good and gracious God, we gather once again this day to name you as our God. God of all the nations and peoples. God of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. The God of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. We praise and we bless you and we glorify you. You are God of life and love and hope and healing, of justice and mercy and compassion. Bestow on us, O God, once again this day, a renewed commitment to stand with you and in you for life and love, hope and healing, justice, mercy, and compassion united in our love for all peoples and all of life, we stand committed to the building a world based on your covenant of love and life. We come together committed to the work of ridding our communities of violence in all its forms and of racism in all the ways that it impacts and plagues our criminal legal system. We pray too that you remain with us, keeping us faithful to the promise we make this day, to work to abolish the death penalty, in our time, and in our land. We ask these things of you, O oh God, for you are God from whom every family takes its name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Thank you, Emma. And for those listeners, um, this is probably unfamiliar voice. Uh, I'd like to formally introduce you to Emma Tack, who is the associate director of community engagement for the Catholic Mobilizing Network, which is an organization that works to end the death penalty and promote restorative justice, and so in a moment Emma will um, talk a little bit about who she is and what her organization does. Um, but Father John, tell us why why are we talking about this topic during this Respect Life Month?
2: Thank you, Danny. First of all. I just am so grateful that Emma is here with us, and um, for me, as a as a priest, as a Catholic priest, as a human being created by God uh, in God's image and likeness, um, I am truly convinced that we must all have a voice, and that voice must be pro life. And as we have been constantly reminding us that it's it's from womb, that very beginning to the tomb. And what's really important is that this value of the human person, I am truly convinced, is not destroyed even when a crime is committed. Um, And sometimes we um, confuse pro-life with all of that. And the church truly has to be part of restoring a sense of healing and a a sense of Uh, optimism in the communities throughout the country. I'm so inspired by Pope Francis, who in 2018, as you know, kind of reworded a little bit the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, and, And it says, in the light of the gospel, the death penalty is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person. And It now advocates for capital punishment to be abolished worldwide, totally and completely. And so I think this is important that we have this uh, powerful discussion uh, and and just focus on the aspect of life. Life, that is what we're about. That is what's important. Um, And so, Emma, I'm so glad that you... um, uh, can join us in your expertise and your knowledge in this particular area. So,
1: thank you. Yes. So, um, let's start with just some basic introductory stuff. Um, Emma, tell us a little about, a bit, a little bit about yourself and what you do, um, and who is the Catholic Mobilizing Network?
0: Sure, uh, Father John, thank you so much, and Danny, thank you so much for this invitation to be with you um, today. I'm I'm delighted to be here. And it's, it's great to be speaking with you on this Friday. Um, yeah, so I, like you said, Danny, my, my name is Emma uh, Tacky, and I grew up in Boise, Idaho. And I, I graduated from the College of St. Benedict in 2015, which is a small Benedictine college in rural Minnesota. Uh, following my graduation with a degree in political science, I uh, spent a year in Seattle, Washington, as a Jesuit volunteer with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps Northwest, um, and I served in a, for a palliative care organization making house visits across the Seattle area to people with um, terminal life-threatening illnesses. Um, but I always knew that I, I wanted to move on to Washington DC following my year as a Jesuit volunteer. Um, and so I, I worked for an organization called Network Lobby in DC which worked on different social and economic justice issues. And then um, from there, I moved on to Catholic Mobilizing Network, which I I so appreciate the opportunity to work for CMN because it allows me to kind of live out my, my faith as a Catholic. Um, you know, my parents, my dad was a theology teacher for 27 years, and they always instilled in me that the way to really live out your faith is through acts of service and to um, leaning into those justice issues and working for the dignity of all humans, even when it's really hard and challenging. Um, so it's, it's been great to work with the Catholic Mobilizing Network in the advocacy education area, you know, advocating for change on a systemic level and kind of helping to transform hearts and minds on the issue of the death penalty, which I know you both know, and in my experience um, working for CMN in the past three years, it's an issue that is still really challenging for a lot of Catholics, which I can certainly appreciate the, the complexity of the issue. Um, but I think, you know, church teaching is so beautiful and so true um, that I think once we really sit with this issue and kind of unpack what our faith teaches about the death penalty, uh, we come to the conclusion that the death penalty should be abolished. So that, that said, I'll, I'll share a little bit about how Catholic Mobilizing Network came to be. In um, at 2005, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops launched their uh, bishops campaign to end the use of the death penalty. And a few years later in 2008, um, murder victim family members Women religious, including Sister Helen Prejean, author of the book *Dead Man Walking*, uh, U.S. BCB staff, and death penalty abolitionists, convened and worked out a plan to help carry out the bishop's campaign to end the use of the death penalty. So, in 2009, the result of that 08 convening was Catholic Mobilizing Network, which was established as a sponsored ministry of the Congregation of Saint Joseph. So we take a, a three-pronged approach to how we do our work and it's through education, advocacy, and prayer. Um, we collaborate with a wide range of partners, including state anti-death penalty groups, death row exonerees, murder victim family members, national abolition strategy coalitions, state Catholic conferences, diocesan offices, parishes, religious orders, Catholic schools, um, and prison chaplaincy and ministries. You know the, the list goes goes on and on. Um, so, in, in essence, that's, that's what we do. And, you know, maybe we can talk about this in a little bit with the, the onslaught of federal executions resuming. But really, the, the strategy of the abolition movement and the death penalty has been on like a state-by-state state basis. So, working with state campaigns to repeal their, their respective death penalty laws.
1: So, so take us from, from the beginning. Like, how did we get to this point where, um, you know, U.S. bishops and, you know, our pope are um, teaching that the death penalty is now, is now wrong and it's an inviability. It's a violation to human dignity and life itself. Um, so maybe can you talk to us a little bit about the development of this teaching and um, how we got to, you know, this recent change in the catechism?
0: And essentially, for a long time, the official Catholic Church teaching maintained that the death penalty was appropriate only under the very rare circumstances that a death sentence was the only way of safeguarding the common good.
2: That's what was in the catechism prior to the change in 2018.
0: Correct. Yes. So, however, as as standards of decency have evolved throughout time and societies have ensured structures in place. To protect society from individuals who have caused great harm, the church's three most recent popes, you know, in the last 30, 40 years or so, have all made public statements calling for the worldwide abolition of the death penalty. And then, like Father John mentioned on August 2nd, 2018, building on the teaching of Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, Pope Francis and the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith formalized that the death penalty is inadmissible. And to to quote the catechism, it says, there is an increasing awareness that the dignity of the person is not lost even after the commission of very serious crimes. In addition, a new understanding has emerged of the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state. Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens, but at the same time, do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption so you know all this to say while well, our understanding of doctrine may develop the principles that support those doctrines do not change you know the, the underlying principle that we as catholics are called to uphold and honor the dignity of the human person you know that's that's certainly nothing new the the church's teaching about dignity and basic equality of all human beings has been clarified um you know so that any earlier ambiguity, ambiguity or loopholes about the tolerance of the death penalty has been eradicated.
1: And, and before we um, started the, this recording, Father John was mentioning how the state of Oregon, uh, it's still legal, um, that the death penalty is still legal by lethal injection, you said, right, Father John? Yeah, that's um, what I saw. Yeah. I, I, I think that's like,
2: still true. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so, only certain states that have... I think, completely abolished, and it's a small number of states, I think.
1: Right, that's mm-hmm. what I was gonna ask, ask you, Emma, just so like we have a little bit of context in terms of the, the present situation. Do you have a sense of like what states have abolished death penalty?
0: I do, yes, and it's, um, I think it may be more than you think, which I'm, I'm happy to share that news. Um, you know, in the past 10, 11 years now of, as CMN has been an organization, there have been tremendous advances in the death penalty abolition movement. 22 states have officially abolished the death penalty, um, mm. and seven of those states have ended the death penalty in the last 10 years. Colorado was the most recent one um, in this past March, kind of right before everything with the pandemic came to a head in the country. Um, additionally, in this time frame of 10 years, the governors of four states have imposed moratoriums on executions in their states, Oregon is included in that. Um, it's been in a governor-imposed moratorium since 2011, which is fantastic. Basically, for for those unfamiliar with the term, um, governor-imposed moratorium, it means that when a governor takes office, they can declare at any time in their in their tenure that during their time as governor, um, they will not have executions carried out in the in the state. Um, The most recent governor declared moratorium was in California in the spring of 2018. And that was significant because California hadn't had an execution in several years, but it was still home to the largest death row in the Western hemisphere with over 700 people on death row. Um, So I'm happy, I have them listed in front of me. I'm happy to quickly name the 22 states that have abolished the death penalty just for fun. Um, and I can do that. Uh, so it goes in alphabetical order. Alaska, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii,
3: Illinois, Iowa, Maine, Maryland,
0: Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Dakota, Rhode Island, Vermont. Washington, West Virginia, and
1: Wisconsin. Any any surprises, Father John?
2: Oh, I think that's uh uh it's actually more than I thought, but that's good, you know. Yeah. But I like what you also said, Emma, that um, like in the state of Oregon, um, I, I did realize uh that particular uh issue, um, like ours is legal in- injection, but the governor uh during uh, and for right now, we have uh, Kate Brown, mm-hmm. and she um, has declared that. So a governor can do that, I guess, right? In in that period of time, but yeah. if a new governor comes in, they can lift that then.
0: Yes, that's correct. That's why we're really, you know, our our end goal is complete abolition of of the death penalty. Right. But anytime a governor declares a moratorium, we are we are very happy.
2: <laughs> can I ask you also in connection with this, like when we talk about uh the death penalty we talk about you know actually just execution of the person mm-hmm. however i I'm, I'm wondering how how um i i kind of pick up bits and pieces that it's it's even deeper than that it's how we treat a person as well because some people think that we can uh perhaps uh mistreat a person we might not uh kill them but we can uh Kind of destroy their life in other ways, and that's really not acceptable either, right? Is that part of the whole issue?
0: I mean, definitely. We we see the death penalty as such an obvious and clear violation of someone's human dignity, but there are so many other ways we we dishonor human dignity, and that's you know through through torture, through um, you know not listening to the needs of the victims, not. Not holding people accountable for their actions. There are all these ways that we dishonor human dignity. And I think what people often don't, don't think about is when we execute someone, it's being done in our name with our tax dollars. And it's there's another person who has to administer the lethal injection or to flip the switch for the elective chair. Um, and so we just need to consider not only are we violating the, the human dignity of the person we are executing, but also of the people we are asking to participate in these executions. And the, the trauma that comes with having to carry out an execution, I think is something that's often not considered by um, supporters of the death penalty.
1: So Emma, one of the reasons I reached out to you is because I had been following um, Catholic Mobilizing Network, and I was just really inspired by their strong advocacy uh, against the death penalty, and putting on these prayer vigils because of these this recent federal executions. And to be honest, I was kind of confused between that. So can you help me ex, uh, help us ex understand kind of the what are these federal executions? You know, we, we've been talking about this, these different states who have abolished the death penalty. And so just kind of walk us through or help us understand that the difference between you know um, state-based executions and the federal executions, and and why has this been such a big deal?
0: So you know it's. State, whether they, you know, if they have the death penalty, are able to carry out these executions, you know, under state jurisdiction. Um, but the, the federal government has its own death penalty, and it hasn't carried out executions in nearly 17 years um, until, you know, these past recent months. So to paint the big picture here is kind of the timeline of how things have worked out in the past year or so. Uh, so the, the Department of Justice First announced its plans to resume federal executions after nearly 17 years um, last July, in July 2019. They scheduled five executions over the next several months. However, due to a barrage of legal challenges, all of those executions were delayed. um, And kind of like the reasons for why those executions were delayed are are complicated and and difficult to get into right now. But essentially, that's what happened. You know, this announcement came from last year. Executions were scheduled and then delayed, put on hold. Then flash forward to this summer when, on June 15th, the Department of Justice announced that that in July, three men were scheduled for execution within a five day period. A fourth and fifth execution were scheduled for the end of August, which, of course, was deeply um, concerning. Um, So, you know, we understand that the reasons why the federal death penalty is wrong the same reasons why the death penalty on a state level is wrong, right? It's it's riddled with with errors and misconduct, executions, stem from our country's history of racial violence, with direct links to our past of lynching Black Americans. It's geographically isolated and arbitrary, and simply out of step with the national trend of decreasing rates of executions and death sentences. So there have been um, Seven executions on a federal level carried out from July uh, 15th, um, between July 15th and September 24th. Um, and then there's another execution scheduled for November 19th, and that will be the eighth federal execution.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, of course, this is all extremely concerning. Um, and yes, you mentioned the, the prayer vigils that Catholic Mobilizing has been doing in the recent months. Um, which we we can talk about that as well right now or or a little bit later. Um,
1: yeah, well, I have to ask Emma something totally you, that you said totally um, made my ears perk up. Is is this link that you made with our our um, racial legacy or, or history here in the United States? And you mentioned, uh, at least if I heard you correctly, that there's there's like a direct link between that and you know um, the lynchings that, that that used to happen in the past. Can you tell us a little bit more about that this this intersection between the death penalty and racism and I don't know if you know if there's statistical like evidence or data that you can refer to and and I know I I didn't I didn't mention this as a topic that we might talk about but like maybe just broadly speak to us what is the link there is there a disproportion between the number of um death row um inmates who are black versus white and maybe just tell us a little more about that link
0: Sure sure so um, yeah, so in the post-Civil War era, there were vigilante lynchings of Black Americans um, administered by, by white people. Um, and in an effort to curb the high number of lynchings taking place, the government said, okay, well, we'll, like, we'll sanitize it and make it organized and structured, and we will, we'll, we'll have the death penalty. We'll carry out executions. To kind of curb these lynchings that are happening, Um, so that's you know that's kind of the the history that we're working against, Um, and there is an excellent excellent report that just came out around the intersection of race and racism and the death penalty, released by the the Research Center Death Penalty Information Center. Um, It's 88 pages long, but it's chock full of really really important historical context and information um, that I'd be happy to, to send you after this conversation. But yes, you know, we, we know the criminal legal system in its entirety is racially biased. It's riddled with, um, you know, there are many factors that come into play when determining who is given a death sentence and racial bias against defendants of color and against black people um, has a strong effect on who is capitally prosecuted and to death executed. 76% of death row defendants have been executed for killing white victims, even though African Americans make up about half of all homicide victims. Um, you know, African Americans are overrepresented on death row. They make up 13% of the U.S. population, but constitute 42% of death row. So it's it's definitely a, a huge issue, and it's you can't look at the death penalty without the
1: lens of racial injustice. Thank you. That's I feel like that's very I mean, if we, you know, like we said earlier, there's a lot of, you know, lack of information or, or knowledge around this topic, period. Like I Definitely, at least for me personally, I don't know about you, Father John. That seems like very hidden history, like hidden history that I did not know about. I didn't know that direct linkage between the death penalty and um, and lynching. Um, I don't know if you want had any comments or questions on what's Emma's, Emma's just shared, Father.
2: I just uh, what what do you say, Emma? To it's kind of a side thing that I mean, like a lot of times, you know, I'll bring this up to people and. Uh, and they'll say to me, oh, so we just let these people walk. They committed crimes and we just let them go. Then is that what you're telling me? Don't do anything. Is it? You know, and, and there's that fine line between, um, you know, the crime that a person committed, but the reality that if we treasure life in the womb, we must treasure life all the way through a person's life, and just because yeah. a crime is committed, we shouldn't have to do so. I was just curious, how do you respond to people who say those kinds of things? Because I, um, I get a little frustrated because I don't think sure. people get it sometimes. Does that make sense?
1: It, it, it sounds to me, it sounds to me, Father John, like embedded in that question is what are alternatives to the death penalty? Is that right? Yeah,
2: that would be some of the things. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yes. Um, no, that, that is such a good question. And certainly, I think the the tension that's there between we say all life is sacred, and that includes the lives of those who, who have committed grave harm and who have done egregious, terrible things, no doubt. And I think I appreciate why that's hard for people. I really do. I get it. Um, but I think it's like we have to have a kind of a, a paradigm shift of how we think about our responses to harm by by working to abolish the death penalty it's a matter of refame, reframing how we understand crime and harm if we truly want to lean into the gospel call to respect the dignity of all life and i think we we have to consider it's not the mission to end the death penalty it's not just about saving the you know the 2500 plus lives that are currently on death row right now that's a big part of it. And if, if our goal was only about that, I think it would still be a worthy goal. But it's also about how are we building a culture of life and what does it do to us as a society and what does it do to us as individuals when we have state-sanctioned murders? When we say, well, you know, we, we follow the commandment, thou shall not kill, except in some cases. Like the, the inconsistency there, I think is, you know, it's, it's tricky for people. Um, but our you know, our mission to create a world in which pathways to repair harm and promote healing become the norm rather than like a, a fringe or the exception requires a shift, like I said, in how we how we value life and think about justice. So it's kind of like we need a, a cultural reset. So if we're really seeking to honor the dignity of all life, we have to be consistent from womb to tomb and thinking about things like racism as a pro-life issue and, um, you know, working against poverty and as a, as a pro-life issue and, you know, access to healthcare as a life issue that they're, they're all intersected together and cannot be untangled from one another as like one is more important than the other. So, you know, we, uh, we have to, it's about Shifting policy and, and abolishing the death penalty, but also, and I think the the deeper challenge here is transforming hearts and minds of, of people in society where they really do seek to honor all human life and not just the lives of of the innocent. So I don't know if that entirely answers your your question, but when we when we think about the death, like a, a death sentence as justice, that's you know very retributive and about vengeance and it may satisfy society's thirst and desire for revenge, and kind of live into that emotional gut instinct of, you know, you you killed someone, so we're going to kill you. Kind of that base human instinct of wanting to lash out yeah, when a harm yeah. has been done. But we only perpetuate this cycle of violence when we continue these state executions. And we get caught in the, in the strange tension between our desire for people to, to be held accountable and to change, and our, our desire for people to, to suffer. So it's it's a complicated million dollar question that you know we're we're trying hard to to answer and to transform the the culture mindset.
1: Um, well, Emma, you mentioned these um, prayer vigils that um, your organization has been doing in response to the federal executions. Tell us about those, and, and tell us about how um, you know parishes like ours can. Participate, or how can we respond at a local level to um, to the death penalty, to these federal executions?
0: Sure. Yes. Um. So the the prayer vigils, we've been doing them one for each federal execution. So we've done seven so far, and they're they're held on Zoom. Um. They're one hour. Where they've we've been doing them from two to three p.m. Eastern time. Uh. The federal government typically carries out their executions in the early evening or late afternoon, sometime between like four to six PM. So this is a time where we come together in in community for an hour of of prayer and reflection and contemplative silence and song. Um, You know, people type in their petitions into the chat and it's there to to bear witness against these executions and to hold in prayer not only the person scheduled for execution, but their victim and their victim's family and the family of those scheduled for execution, and anyone who is impacted by the death penalty, you know, the the correctional officers, the person who has to administer the lethal injection, the the reporters that have to be in the, you know, the the witness room, you know? Um, So it's been a wonderful, uh, the response to the vigils has been surprising in such a wonderful way. You know, when we first extended the invitation for the first vigil, we didn't know how many people would show up. Um, but I think by the seventh vigil, we had over 200 people who attended and we've had, um, you know, bishops um, send in statements or re- video reflections or join us live for the prayer vigils. Um, mm-hmm. and we've had women religious come in and, and share those prayers. Um, the, the prayer I said at the beginning of this conversation by Sister Addie Walker that was the prayer she, she wrote and read at, our, um, at one of our vigils. So it's, it's been, you know, I'm not going to lie. These, the past few months have been really difficult. And what we were afraid was going to happen has happened. But the vigils are a way for us to dig deep and find the strength and the conviction to carry on in this work. Um, in this long game to, to end executions. Um, so I, I really encourage if, you know, if you all want, want to join or extend the invitation to, to your parish, um, the, the Zoom link for the November 19th execution prayer vigil of Orlando Hall uh, will be ready here in the next couple of weeks or so. Or I encourage you to hold your own prayer vigil, which we have resources for kind of how that could look um, at a parish level as well. So really, the, the grounding and the, the hope we find in prayer, I think, cannot be understated.
1: Yeah, Emma, I would love if you could send us those two resources, the link, and, you know, if, if we want to, you know, put on future prayer vigils, um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's necessary and important. Um, and, and and that's why, you know, during this month of Respect Life, we have been focusing on prayer and reflection ourselves, um, focusing on the chaplet of divine mercy and offering up uh, this chaplet for an end to abortion, an end to racism. And I love this conversation we've been having, Emma, because you've been making all these connections yourself, you know, how, you know, um, these other issues are pro-life issues as well. And that's really what the series is about. And so, Um, Now is the time where um, we're going to transition to this chaplet and offer it for an end to the death penalty and for our restoration of of life and and human dignity. And so if you're listening to our conversation here with Emma and Father John and myself, now's the time to hit the pause button, grab your rosary um, so that you can pray along with us. Um, the the chaplet of divine mercy, offering it up for an end to the death penalty. Father John, before we transition to prayer, do you have any final words? Um, I just want to
2: say one more thing about, are there prayers also, or ways that we could reach out also to those who might be hurting from someone who has killed another person? Does, Does that make sense? Because sometimes I think we forget about them and people in their own grief, in their own rage um, are, are crying out as well. And they're saying, what about me? What about my pain? What about? And I was wondering if there was any kind of uh, prayer for those individuals. Is there any, any of reaching out to them? How does this group help them as well?
0: Yes, definitely. There's one prayer um on our website I'm thinking of in particular which I think it's titled something like a litany for those who are not ready to heal yet or something along those lines. Um but definitely we were thinking about how how we make sure centered, you know, in our work is are the victims and their their journey of healing and how we can support them and honor their human dignity, which is equally as important um Yes, I and certainly in our prayer vigils, we hold in prayer the victims um, of the person who was scheduled for exhibition, yeah. And thank I you, also, Emma. Of course. Well, go ahead,
3: you,
0: I'm
2: sorry, um, go ahead. You were gonna say something?
0: Um, oh, I just, I have a couple other, before we, we enter into prayer, a couple other resources I think are helpful for parishes wanting to explore this issue a little more. Yeah. Um, we uh, You may be familiar with the, the film and the book, Just Mercy. Uh, yes. The movie was you know released last January in twenty twenty, so we have made uh, a Catholic study guide to go along with that film that has kind of questions and supplementary materials and prayer um, kind of about the film, which I think can foster some really interesting and great discussion. Mm. Um, you know, just you know other suggestions of including those on death row and their victims and their family in you know prayers of the faithful or Picking one Sunday a month to expand on the issue of the death penalty in in a Mm -hmm. homily or um, having people sign the National Catholic Pledge to end the death penalty, which I can send you the links for. I think these are are relatively easy lifts to bring the issue into communities where they may not be thinking about it as the life issue.
1: Yes, those are all great, Emma. Please do share, and we'll be sure to include it in the description um, of this episode. And we can also share it on our bulletin and the different platforms that we have to communicate with folks in our community.
3: Wonderful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again, Emma and um, Father John, will you um, open us up in prayer?
2: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God of infinite mercy, you chose your humble servant, St. Faustina to be the of divine mercy in our time through her intercession may we come to trust in you and your unfathomable mercy more fully. We place before you today our needs, the needs of our families, our parish, and of the whole world, and we ask you to look kindly upon them, help us grow ever stronger in our faith that we might put into practice works of mercy in our daily lives. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. O blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as the fountain of mercy for us. Our, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Eternal Father, and on the whole
3: world. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless
2: and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. In the name of the Father, and of
3: the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Amen.
1: All right, that's it for this episode of Reclaiming Social Justin. On behalf of Father John and I, we thank you, Emma Taki, for joining the podcast to speak to us about uh, capital punishment, the death penalty, and what Catholic social teaching um, educates us on this topic. In the next episode of this series on respecting all life, Father John and I will speak about ending homelessness. And specifically, we're going to talk about a special organization that we're partnering with this year to fight homelessness locally. And the organization is called Family Promise. So stay tuned for that conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or have been enjoying this series on respecting all life, I highly encourage you to subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can be the first to hear new episodes. And after, make sure that you share it on your social media and talk to your friends and family about it so that more and more people can listen to this very important conversation on social justice and the church's stance on, this, on social justice. So until next time, I hope that you all continue to stay safe, stay healthy, and remember to pursue social justice. um, Even if you're socially isolated or you're socially distancing, now is the time more than ever to reach out and to help um, God build his kingdom here on earth. Take care.